Hello, 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 Miami Dolphin fans, and welcome to the Same Old Dolphin Show, part of the DolphinsTalk.com podcast network. I'm Josh Katzker. With me today and every day is my brother from the exact same mother, Aaron the Brain. Aaron, say hello to the people. Hello to the people. You know that song from the 90s? Back to life, back to reality. Remember that absolutely, song? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Is that uh, Soul to Soul, I believe? Is that is that who that is? I believe so. Have the producer look that up. Figure that out. It, whatever the case is, this is it is very much the theme of that song is the theme of what we're talking about when it comes to the Miami Dolphins because after some... Um, encouraging performances from the Miami Dolphins and a couple of back-to-back victories over the Jets and the Colts. The Dolphins come home and face a team that has a very clear talent advantage and the Miami Dolphins fall at home 37 to 20 to the Buffalo Bills, a game that the Dolphins had. There were a couple of moments where you thought the Dolphins were going to fight back and try to get their way back into the game. But every time they did that, Buffalo had an answer and the Dolphins really could never get truly back into the game and back on level terms. They trailed the whole way and dropped it 37 to 20. And I think in a lot of ways, this was a regression for the Dolphins, but maybe regression isn't the right term because, I mean, really, at the end of the day, when you put the Dolphins' talent up against the talent of some of these other teams, at the end of the day, talent is going to win out, and that's what happened here. The Bills are just a much more talented team from top to bottom than the Miami Dolphins, and so they come away with this uh, victory out of out of Miami. So the Dolphins fall now to two and eight on the season, back fourth in the draft order behind the 0-10 Cincinnati Bengals, the 1-9 Washington Redskins, and the 2-9 New York Giants. The Jets defeated the Redskins on this day, so the Dolphins fall back to the basement of the AFC East and are back in the conversation of, uh, you know, getting, if not the top pick, at least in that top two of the draft but and we're going to talk about the draft specifically because obviously if you unless you're living under a rock you know that the guy who was considered the must-have quarterback prospect in this draft uh Tua Tonga-Vailoa had an injury this week and it is going to put him out for the season and a lot of people are talking about how it's affecting his draft status so we're going to talk about Tua's injury we're going to get into all of that but before we do any of that we need to invite you to follow us on Twitter at Amplified to Rock. That's me. The brain is at Aaron the Brain. The show is at Same Old Dolphins. We're also on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Same Old Dolphins. And we invite you to head over to Apple Podcasts where you can download rate and review the show we we'd appreciate you spending just a few moments of your time to give us a five-star rating and a really great positive review it'll help other people find the show and of course we hope you will subscribe to the show either on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher or any of the uh, other audio platforms where you might find your podcasts you can find our show there so hop on board the same old dolphin show train and subscribe to the show if you haven't done so already and of course make sure that you're visiting dolphinstalk.com every single day for all of your latest miami dolphins news and information so brain let's start with our takeaways 
from this game as the Dolphins fall at home to the Buffalo Bills 37 to 20. What were your biggest takeaways from this game? Yeah, well, I agree. This was just them going up against a team that had more talent than them, which that let's face it, that's the case every week, except this week it was a team that had significantly more talent that came in healthy and the Dolphins did not come in healthy. Uh, you know, they've, they've had their injuries and, and guys that, that have been out and that's affected them each week. But you come in with a thin run defense as is. And then you take away Raekwon McMillan, who's been by far our best run stopping, uh, linebacker and then take away Taco Charlton, who outside of the starting three defensive linemen with Wilkins, Godshaw, and Jenkins had been our really our best run-stopping edge defender in in Taco Charlton, and you're going up against a Buffalo team that wants to run the ball. That's a recipe for disaster. And then, in addition to that, uh, one of the concerns that I mentioned on the on the solo show uh, where we did the preview was that I thought that Nick Needham would have his hands full with John Brown. Nick Needham does a lot of good things with his physicality and his technique and his footwork, but he's just overmatched against a guy with the quickness and speed of John Brown. Uh, he's just, that's not a, a one-on-one matchup that he's going to win. And then there were a couple of times where he was just flat out beat. And then a couple of times where he was supposed to get help over the top and the safety help was late. Uh, so they couldn't stop the run. They couldn't stop the pass. It was a bad day for the defense. And then on the offensive side of the ball, couldn't block anybody. So if you can't block anybody, you can't stop the run and you can't stop the pass. Well, then I think it's kind of impressive. We only lost by 17. That, that's a, that's a fair point. You can't stop the run. You can't stop the pass. Losing by 17, I guess, isn't quite as bad as it might sound. But as you, as we mentioned, the Dolphins are, sort of overmatched all over the place. You know, my thought going into this game was that if the Dolphins could find a way to stop the Bills on the ground, that they would be okay. Well, you know, it doesn't look all that great, but holding Devin Singletary to 75 yards on the ground, holding Frank Gore to 27 yards on the ground, that's okay. You gave up 56 yards rushing to Josh Allen. That's not great. But my thought had been, if you can force Josh Allen to beat you through the air, you're going to have a better chance. Well, Josh Allen had a fantastic day going for 256 yards and three touchdowns. As you mentioned, John Brown had a, a monster day. Nine receptions, 137 yards, a pair of touchdowns. Josh Allen was put to the test, and he passed the test with flying colors. And this was just a really tough day for the Dolphins' defense. And offensively, they just continue to struggle. I mean, the first, almost the entire first half, this offensive line just looked like, it looked like everybody was Jeremy Turnstile. I mean, everybody was just getting blown past and it was, it was pretty ugly. And you wondered if the Dolphins were going to be able to get anything done at all. And eventually Ryan Fitzpatrick was able to string some things together. He was able to find Devontae Parker a couple of times. We got help from a, an amazing 101 yard kickoff return from Jakeem Grant. It was nice to see Jakeem Grant had his most impactful game of the season, which was a really positive, uh, really positive sign from this game. But otherwise it just, 
This was not an inspiring performance from your Miami Dolphins. Yeah, I, I just think they were they were overmatched. Look, the offensive line is bad. We could sit here every single week and we can say the same thing. We we were a little uh, intrigued to get to see uh, Julian Davenport. Uh, remember, we got him back at, at, with the draft picks as part of the trade with with Houston for Laramie Tunsil. But remember, when we got him, we were saying, yeah, you know, he was one of the worst. Uh, left tackles in the league, arguably the worst left tackle in the league last season with Houston, and part of the reason why Deshaun Watson was getting killed, and now you see it. Uh, <laughs> he was possibly worse than Jamarcus Webb, which is hard to do because Jamarcus Webb has been awful. And then Mike Dieter on the on the left side at, at guard, well, he's he's been pretty brutal as well and he's been he's been okay in the run game but he's been terrible in pass protection so the entire left side of the offensive line is a complete dumpster fire it's just they're gonna have their hands full with defenses that bring the heat and then the the more we lose you know weapons like you know you don't have Preston Williams and now it's just Devonte Parker now it was nice to see Jakeem Grant show up Albert Wilson made a couple of catches in this game Alan Hearns is now kind of stepping into a role but there's not a lot of firepower to really keep defenses honest so they're going to attack this offensive line and the fact that frankly they don't even really have to blitz to do it they just if they're creative they could still rush for and get pressure on this, you know, on this Dolphins offensive line and get into the backfield and stop the run. It's just, it's going to be tough sledding for this Dolphins offense all year, no matter who the quarterback is. I, I think it would have been much worse if Josh Rosen was there because Fitzpatrick still managed to do some things. Uh, I do think there were some positive takeaways though, uh, even on the offensive side of the ball. Was, I think it was, uh, Devontae Parker. Look. This guy has been consistent week after week after week, and he seems to be getting better as the season goes on. And this is a guy who the biggest knock on him in the first, what, four years of his career has been lack of consistency, that he'll show up one week, have a great week, get you excited, and then you won't, he won't show up for a couple of weeks or he won't be out there because he, he can't stay healthy or what, or whatever it is. But he's been out there every single week. And on most weeks, he's been the Dolphins best receiver. So it's, it's exciting to watch him finally breaking through. I don't know if he'll get a, a, a up to a thousand yards, but he, he, could if he stays healthy, he's got a shot at a 1,000 yard receiving season. Which, you know, if if you would have said coming into the season that that you got that out of Devonte Parker, I think every single Dolphins fan would be would be thrilled to hear it. I don't know that he's a number one guy, but you certainly between him and Preston Williams, you have to feel like wide receiver suddenly isn't as as big a priority going forward with, for this team that has a lot of other holes in some more important positions. Yeah, very impressive performance from Devontae Parker. Ended up with seven receptions, 135 yards on the day. He's just really putting together some solid performances. I, I mentioned on Twitter, does he qualify as the Dolphins' comeback player of the year? And I was asking that question because in order to come back, you've had to have been something before. 
and he sort of never was. But it's really nice to see him developing into something, and it seems like the Dolphins have him locked in for, for pretty cheap for a little while. It's it's kind of a good deal. So we, we said when the Dolphins re-signed him last year, it's like, why are they extending him? But it was a pretty much a, a low-risk, high-reward situation, and the Dolphins are being rewarded for that right now. The Dolphins also signed Alan Hearns to a two-year extension uh, this week, and Hearns had four receptions for 53 yards as well. Also had a couple of drops in the game. It seems like that is something that all of these Dolphin receivers are good for. They're good for making a couple of great catches. They're also good for a couple of drops in the game, which is disappointing. Um, but if you want to talk about Miami Dolphins who are disappointing, we have a new goat on this show. You know him. We know him as Kalen Garbage. Kalen Garbage, the Dolphins' number one running back, who said previously that he has nothing to prove to anybody, in this game, ran nine times for nine yards, an average of one yard per carry, and his longest run of the game was seven yards. This this is a bad performance by Kalen Balaj, and if those numbers are bad for you... You want to hear what he's done on the season, Bryn? Are you ready for this? Uh, I know he's under two yards a carry. He has carried the ball 55 times for 113 yards for an average of 2.05 yards per carry. Kalen Garbage. He did score a touchdown, though. He did score a touchdown. I, I actually liked the wildcat look that the Dolphins went to a few times in this game, and it actually did prove effective in those goal line situations. So that's certainly a positive. But another positive in the backfield, and this is something that I want to see more of over the next couple of weeks before Mark Walton comes back from his suspension, and even still, maybe even after that, I want to see more Patrick Laird, who you again referred to on the last podcast as Chris Laird, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing there. I, I don't know. But you just can't get it through your through your skull, but that's okay. Yeah, it's like Chris Laird and Preston Wilson. Yeah, you know, it's the same kind of thing, and that's fine. But Patrick Laird in this game had six receptions for 51 yards. He also had a rush for seven yards. This guy seems to have something, and I would like to see him get some more playing time, like to see him get some more carries, get some more targets, because I think this is a guy who may have a role in this team going forward. I think it's pretty clear that Kalen Balaj is not going to be part of the long-term plan. It remains to be seen what the plan is for Mark Walton. Actually, we have a question on Twitter about that, and I'll, uh, I'll pose it to you now, which is where, and the question comes from at Logic Tech 12, and he says, where do you see Mark Walton's future after this season? Does Do you think he... Uh, fits into a role anywhere with this Dolphins team? Is he going to compete for the starting job? Or is this another guy that you think the Dolphins are going to move on from after this season? That's Patrick Laird? No, this question was specifically about Mark Walton. All about Mark Walton. Mark Walton, as a runner, is that he's an ideal, you know, first two down. He's a two down back, but he's not anything great. I mean, he he could be a third down back because he can catch out of the backfield. He can block, but he he's not a workhorse and there's nothing that he does that's spectacular, but he's solid. Uh, and he's kind of solid in everything. The, the knock on him really has been his off the field stuff. 
in Cincinnati, which is what he's being punished for this season. The Dolphins knew that he was going to be suspended, that this suspension was coming. But by all accounts, he's been kind of a model. He's been a model citizen since he's been with the Dolphins. But I, I think it depends what happens the rest of the year with Patrick Laird, with Miles Gaskin, with Kalen Balage. Look, Kalen Balage is just at this point, the best case scenario for him is a LeGarrette Blunt type that he's just a short yardage hammer that you just put him in there. He, look, he could run the Wildcat, but I mean, I, I, is he the only running back that can run the Wildcat? I'm sure they can get somebody else to do that. As far as Walton is concerned, it, it depends what you get out of Laird. It depends what you get out of Gaskin. And because Walton's not going to be expensive, it also depends what's there in the draft. But I don't believe this team is going to be looking to draft a running back high in the draft. In they're Certainly not in day one. And I probably not in day two of the draft. So I think they're just going to get bodies in. And they're going to take... You look look at those uh, those Patriots teams over the past several years. They like to have at least four uh, running backs plus the the fullback on the roster. So they're going to want bodies out there, and they want guys that can do different things. And Laird to me seems like uh, a guy that can do a little bit of everything uh, as well. Miles Gaskin, we really haven't seen much of. I think with him, you're, he's kind of he has the body of being kind of a scat back, come out of the backfield to catch passes. But we really haven't seen enough snaps to really know what Miles Gaskin is. Just that he's clearly behind Laird and Balage and and Walton when he comes back on the on the depth chart. I just think it's a it's a work in progress thing. They're gonna they're gonna figure this out. They're not they're not committing anything really valuable to any of these guys. So all of these guys have to prove week after week that they're, uh, that they're worth even a spot on the roster. So, and I, I don't expect that to change this year or this off season. I think there, we're going to get more bodies and bring in more competition. And we're probably going to end up keeping the top five guys. And that might be, that might be Mark Walton. And maybe Mark Walton, you know, gets an opportunity based off of what he's you know, he's done so far with Miami or how he finishes the season where maybe another team looks at Mark Walton and says, Hey, we'll throw you a contract and you can, you could be our starting running back. Maybe that happens. I don't think it's going to. You also have to consider that Mark Walton is from Miami, played his college ball down here and seems to be happier. He hasn't been in trouble since he, since he's rejoined the Dolphins. So, you know, short of him getting you know, a a big contract from another team, I think he's going to be here competing for a job on this roster. Anything else from this game, this Buffalo game that you feel like needs to be addressed here? I mean, it was it was a total complete regression, but it's not something that I'm terribly upset about. It was something that I expected. You know, when you look at what this Dolphins roster is, there are just yeah, I mean, going to be times where they were overmatched on the field, and, and that it happened today. I didn't expect it necessarily based on how, how good the Dolphins looked last time these two teams met, but I think that may have been a case of Buffalo underestimating Miami the first time around, and they weren't going to let that happen again. And this time, Miami pretty much got punched in the mouth from the get-go. 
I honestly think the most, uh, the, my biggest takeaway of this game is, is, is honestly it's positive because we were completely overmatched. Like, like I alluded to, we were completely overmatched and we were still in this game in the fourth quarter, even down 17. We mounted a couple of drives that where we got into the red zone. We just could not. Uh, we could not produce. We couldn't get over the hump to really make a game out of it. And uh, when we had it down to a 10-point game, Buffalo had that that back-breaking touchdown drive that really kind of put the game away. But Miami didn't quit. And Miami kept coming at them. And, and the game still didn't feel quite over. You, you kind of knew because you knew that even if the Dolphins scored, if Buffalo really needed to, they were going to drive down and score again. But... As bad as we played and as much as we were overmatched, we lost by 17. Need I remind you that in the first four weeks of the season, we didn't lose a game by less than 20. This is, you know, we went through a stretch there, starting with the last Buffalo game, where we either lost, and and even that game, we lost by 10, but we lost by 10 because they returned an onside kick for a touchdown. That was a three-point game. And then every single game, you know, we were in it into the fourth quarter. And in most of those games, we held leads and we won a couple of games. And so I, yes, was it a regression? Sure. But in the first, in the first month of the season, had we run up against a team that played this well and overmatched us by this much, we would have lost by 30. And I thought they they showed some grit. It, they didn't have their best game, but they hung in there and they fought. And I think that was my biggest takeaway is that they didn't quit on this game. They certainly didn't. They also kicked an onside kick, which they recovered. I mean, I, well, they, Jason Sanders, is he's pretty good at the onside kicks. Yes. But we've got a couple of onside kick recoveries that they didn't go 10 yards. Right. Yeah, so this one did. This one went the exact right amount, and you had the element of surprise. It was pretty fantastic. Jason Sanders proving to be one of the most valuable players on this Miami Dolphins team. And we go from the current most valuable player on the Dolphins, or one of the current most valuable players on the Dolphins, to a guy who could potentially be the most valuable player on the Dolphins. This, of course, is Tua Tungavailoa, who in Alabama's game this weekend against Mississippi State, is chased down and tackled from behind, at which point he falls on his hip, suffers a fracture of the hip, which this sent the internet up in arms because everybody was so worried. They immediately started with the Bo Jackson comparisons, that this is the same kind of injury that ended Bo Jackson's career, and is this going to end Tua's career? Well, the thing was that Bo Jackson's career wasn't ended by the injury itself. It was ended by side effects from the injury, which luckily medicine has advanced a lot in the 30 years since that injury occurred so that they were able to figure out what the problem was, take care of it. And the, by all accounts now, at this point, they, the report came out that it was a fractured hip and that he was going to, Tua was going to be flown to Houston to have it taken care of and to have surgery done this week. Surgery was performed on Monday and the announcement has come out from the hospital that the surgery was a success. 
and that by all accounts, Tua is expected to make a full recovery. And that those are the key words there, that he is going to make a full recovery. This injury probably happens because Tua is playing while he is not at 100%. And there's, there's no doubt about it that he wasn't. He was basically playing on one leg. The ankle was not in good shape, and he was out there playing anyway. By all accounts, Nick Saban put him out there because Tua and his family said he wanted to be playing, so he went out there and played. I have expressed a lot of skepticism about that, but that's neither here nor there. That's a conversation for another time as to whether or not he should have been out there to begin with. Fact was, he was. He suffers this injury and has now had the surgery and is expected to make a full recovery. That's the first part of it. Now, the next part is there is now pretty concrete evidence that there are injury concerns with Tua Tagovailoa. It is likely now that he is going to have some draft stock. He's going to lose some of that stock in the draft and might ironically might now be more available to the Dolphins than he would have been had he not been injured because it's with each passing week it seems less and less likely that the Dolphins are going to end up with the number one pick just based on what the Cincinnati Bengals are doing but here we are now there's a possibility that he could fall to the Dolphins I think he was unquestionably the quarterback that we on this podcast were most interested in the Dolphins drafting. He was the prospect that we were really looking for. We thought that he was the game changer. The question now is, assuming he makes a full recovery, is he still the guy for the Miami Dolphins? That is the question. And I think you're going to have a wider a wider range of answers than you would have before the injury. Because before the injury, there were already people who were saying, well, I don't know if he's the guy. He's too small. He's blah, blah, blah. He's this and that. I think when you look at the skills, his ability to read the game, his ability to adjust, his ability to deceive, and his ability to throw the football, this is the guy. At least for me. But now this injury puts a question mark out there. So my question for you, Brain... Is Tua still your guy? If the Dolphins end up picking fourth in the draft and Tua somehow falls to them, do you take him? If he's healthy and the doctors check him out and he's ready to go, then I take him. Because the things that he can do, uh, the other quarterbacks can't do, save for, for, for maybe Burrow. But in this scenario... If Tua is there at four, you're assuming that Burrow went number one or two or, you know, somewhere before there. So to me, it's just a matter of do the doctors check him out? Is he healthy? Because some of the comparisons that that Tua has drawn is Drew Brees. And Drew Brees is a guy that Dolphin fans know all too well, we passed up on twice. We passed up on him in the draft, and then we passed up on him in free agency. And when we passed up on him in free agency, the big thing was, is he had a shoulder injury, and our doctors checked him out, and we just didn't have confidence in the shoulder injury. Well, it turns out his shoulder was fine, and he's turned out to be Look, he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game. Yes, but who did the Dolphins end up with, baby? Dante Culpepper. That's right. And what did we get out of that? 
well, we got Nick Saban going to Alabama. <laughs> That's what we got out of that. God bless America, <laughs> baby. Go Dolphins. Yeah. Look, the talent is there, the mental aptitude and everything that you want out of the quarterback position is there, but there are injury concerns. But look, uh, if 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 he if the doctors check him out and they don't believe and they they don't believe that he's any worse for wear off of this, you can't worry about a hip injury. It's the look, it's the only time it's kind of a freak thing. Now the ankles, look, that's something that he's now dealt with uh back-to-back years. And that's something that should probably be a bit of a concern, but he wouldn't be the first guy to have ankle issues to end up, you know, kind of figuring things out and being able to to play through them. The, the immediate guy that comes to my mind, I know it's a different sport, but in basketball is Steph Curry and Steph Curry, when he first came into the league, he's a top 10 pick and he everybody immediately realized that he was extremely talented but he had trouble staying on the court because he kept getting injured he kept having these ankle injuries and that was one of the reasons why golden state got him on such a a team friendly deal and then all of a sudden his ankle was no longer an issue for a few years and he had all-time great seasons you know first unanimous nba mvp so that that's what it reminds me of, and that's the upside. But then you you also still have to look. Well, where's Steph Curry now? Well, he's injured, and that's the same thing. You might have to deal with a little bit of an up and down, but for the upside, it's worth it to me because if you've got a Tua with an upside of a Drew Brees, even if you only can count on him for 10, 11, 12 games a year, if you're getting 11 or 12 games a year of high level quarterback play, you could throw in a backup for, for four games or five games or whatever it is, but you've got to have some sort of high level quarterback there that you, you have a chance of winning a title because you're not going to do it with the Ryan Tannehills of the world. And you're not going to do it with the Ryan Fitzpatrick's of the world. So, uh, if he's there and the doctors say he's healthy, I still take him. To me, the biggest question is if he's not healthy and the Dolphins take him off the draft board, what's the plan then? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think it, the a lot of people are – there are hints and whispers that Justin Herbert is pretty high on the minds of the Miami Dolphins brass if Tua is not the guy, but – I don't know. Well, that's a conversation for another day. I have another conver- another question that is Tua related here. Comes to us on Twitter from at Wiener 80 and he says, let's say due to Tua's injury on Saturday, Miami drafts another quarterback with their first pick in round one, but Tua is still available at our last pick in round one or our first pick in round two. Should Miami double down on quarterbacks and still draft Tua? Uh, I I have no problem with throwing as many resources as we can at the quarterback position until we get it right. Uh, if that means drafting Tua and signing another guy, uh, I don't know that you necessarily have to do that because, like, who are you going to sign? You're going to sign Cam Newton. I mean, maybe you've maybe Cam's got a year or two left in the tank if he's a hundred percent healthy. But that's that's a huge if, and I don't know. He's never been this highly accurate cerebral quarterback. He's always been one of these guys that just kind of coasts 
on his uh you know on his on his physical abilities. So if if we're going to draft a quarterback, I don't really have a problem with just keeping Ryan Fitzpatrick around for another year. Uh and having a guy that that said rookie can learn from. Now, I think the one of the other quarterbacks, I don't think he's going to end up coming out this year cuz he's having such a terrible year is Jordan Love from Utah State, but he's a guy that's extremely raw that has a huge amount of upside that would be the ideal kind of project to have sit behind a Ryan Fitzpatrick. And maybe if that's the case, then maybe you do, you know, bring in somebody else and maybe you even draft two quarterbacks. You do kind of like what Washington did back in the day when they drafted RG3 and then drafted Kirk Cousins. And you just say, well, hey, like Jordan Love Maybe there's like upside there, but maybe you also bring in a guy that is more ready, more steady to play right now. I don't know. There's a lot of different ways that they can go with the quarterback position, but I'm not opposed to throwing as many resources as we can at it. But it's going to be an ever evolving thing as the season goes on. And then once the offseason, uh, as we, we start looking at, at the rehab and then the combine and the pro days and, and watching Tua to make sure like, Hey, how's his rehab going? Is he going to be at these pro days? You know, how is he going to be working out? Is he going to be running? What's he look like throwing the ball? How's his arm strength compare to the other guys? And, and then when he gets to the combine, obviously they're going to poke and prod him and they're going to find everything out about his medical history and what's going on in, inside of his body to really determine if if he has a reliable NFL body. Because you remember, uh, you know, they, they do this every single year and things come out about guys and, and they fall on draft port on draft boards because of medical concerns. But we know it firsthand as Dolphin fans, uh, a guy like uh, Jay Ajayi w- was a first round talent and dropped all the way down to what the fourth or the fifth round where the Dolphins got him, and the reason was is because he had a degenerative knee issue. He had like basically no cartilage in his knee, and they knew it was going to be a ticking time bomb. And sure enough, after really one good year with Miami, and then uh, getting traded to Philly and having a few really good games helping Philly win a Super Bowl down the stretch, Jay Ajayi is basically out of the league because of that knee problem. So, uh, these doctors know what's going on when they, when they do all their due diligence at the combine. And I think that's what it's really going to come down to. Absolutely. For the record, Jay Ajayi is actually back with the Eagles right now. They re-signed him recently uh, because they're pretty banged up at running back. That's neither here nor there. One other question from Dr. Wiener. Just a couple other questions here, and then we're we're out of here on this episode. But aside, uh, Dr. Wiener 80 says, aside from quarterback and O-line, what is the next most important position we need to draft? I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that, Brent. Now, obviously, offensive line. Well, he said, aside. Oh, yeah, well, defensive backs. Uh, we need, look, our safety position. We got Bobby McCain playing out of position and he's doing an admirable job, but you're going to need, uh, you're going to need another safety. It'd be nice if, I mean, Nick Needham's going a long way to kind of proving that he can potentially be a number two corner, but or at least the combination of him and, and McCain. Maybe you've got something there at cornerback. I think Jamal Wiltz has done a nice job. Steven Parker's done a nice job, but these guys aren't, 
you know, <laughs> they're they're not lighting the world on fire. There's a reason why these guys were available on this on the scrap heap. But the fact that they've that this coaching staff has proven that they can kind of get stuff, that they can get things and get uh, production out of these guys in the secondary, maybe that kind of shifts them back towards the front seven of the defense. We obviously need uh, a lot more depth on the D line. We're extremely thin there. And uh, I would like to see what Andrew Van Ginkle looks like at linebacker, but I think we need at least one more quality linebacker to add into that rotation. I don't think you, you pigeonhole yourself into a position though. I think you, you take the best player available. You, you need so many things. You need a D, you need a couple of defensive linemen. You need a linebacker. You need a few defensive backs. You need a whole mess of offensive linemen. You could use a big play wide receiver, uh, or, you know, a true number one wide receiver. You could use, uh, a stud running back. If any of those guys happen to be there where the Dolphins pick, You'd be crazy not to consider them. Uh, I, you just take the best player available, and then you and then you figure it out. That don't try to put band aids on things and reach on guys just because they fit a specific position that you're looking for. Uh, that's just never the way to do it with the draft. It's such a short term way of looking at it. When in reality, when you're when you're drafting these guys, the vast majority of these guys are not going to step right in and be impact players right away. Maybe you get two or three of them, but if you're picking 10, 11 guys, I mean, yeah, you'd like for half of them to come in right away and be impact players, but what you want is you want as many of those guys to be impact players two, three, four years down the line so that you can actually build a roster. Just trying to fill Band-Aids with them is, it's a losing proposition. It's not the way to go about things. Final question comes from at Noah's a dork. He says, specifically for you, Bryn, this is the type of season that you've been calling for since the show started. Yes. Yes, it's true. And probably before. Uh, I, I, yeah, I can confirm that you've been talking about this since before we started doing the show several years ago. But he says, how are you enjoying it? And how are things looking in your view? I'm enjoying it to the extent of it's not stressful. It's, it's nice to, to go into Sunday and just kind of feel like, eh, you know, the Dolphins are going to play and I, I have no real expectation of them winning. The most stressful game of the season was last week because you didn't want, cause I, I legitimately did not want them to win that game last week, <laughs> but. I don't get up in arms when they lose because I want the team to look good. And when they're playing well, it's hard for me to really be upset. Like, yes, I want them to lose, but if they're playing well, then I have hope for the future. So as a whole, I'm enjoying it. But look, it's boring. It's going to be rough to get through. I had no uh, illusions that it was going to be fun to sit through this, but I would gladly take a 2-14 and 14 to finally get ourselves back on the track. And it's not even so much, again, it's not about the draft. I said this over and over again last year on the show, is that it's not about draft position. It's partially about draft position, especially when it comes to the quarterback. But aside from the quarterback, there are good players to be found all over the draft. The key thing is knowing in your front office that you are taking a pragmatic 
slow approach to building this, this thing the right way and not saying we've got a win right now. We're close to being a playoff team. So let's throw a bunch of money because we're desperate to win right now. It's really refreshing that we're not doing that. Now we'll see what happens. They've got a lot of money that they can spend this offseason and I'll be looking very hard at the, the moves that they make this offseason to see are they throwing a bunch of money and, and getting themselves back in these bad contracts, which is going to put them back in a spot where the ceiling is 10 and 6 and then, you know, they've got no room to build because they've just put all of their resources in a team that's good enough to go 10 and six. We'll see. But my, my, I I've liked what they've been doing and so far everything is on track. I would like it better if we were on track to get the number one pick, but they, they tore the roster down to the studs. They traded away their star left tackle. They traded away their playmaking safety that they drafted just a year ago. They, lopped off all of the talent on the top end of the roster. They got rid of all of those guys that uh, they felt weren't big parts or weren't pieces of the team long-term. So look, they've done everything they can organizationally to be the worst team in, in the league. And if the coach ends up being so good that they end up winning three or four games and they end up with the number four pick instead of the number one pick, so be it but they're still in great shape with the number of picks that they have and the amount of cap room that they have and the amount of flexibility because they they have no bad contracts on their roster, save for Rashad Jones, but they'll be out of that one in a year. So there you have it. The brain gives you an update on where he is on the Dolphins, well, I won't say tank season, but the rebuilding process has begun and the brain is pretty happy with it that is going to wrap us up for this episode of the show so brain why don't you tell the people where they can find you can find me on twitter at aaron the brain and i am at amplified to rock the show is at same old dolphins facebook.com slash same old dolphins subscribe download rate review we're on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher soundcloud everywhere that you get your podcasts you can find this one so make sure that you're checking us out and that you are subscribed so that that show immediately shows up on your device and finally make sure that you are visiting dolphinstalk.com every single day for all of the latest miami dolphins news and information it is your one-stop shop for all things Miami Dolphins. We will be back later this week to preview the Dolphins' upcoming game with the Cleveland Browns, which is going to be an interesting conversation, I am sure. So that'll be coming up later this week. But in the meantime, take care of yourselves and each other. We will talk to you again next time. Bye-bye, everybody. Go Dolphins!